This episode of the Bamboo Pastors Podcast has been brought to you by the Growth Center for Church and Mission. The Growth Center has established the Entrepreneurial Ministry Leader, a ministry ecosystem which brings together pastors, ministry leaders, and marketplace leaders who are finding creative ways to utilize their faith and their talents to bring the gospel to the cities and communities they live in. Check them out at thegrowthcenter.com. Welcome to the Bamboo Pastors Podcast, a podcast that explores the joys and challenges of being an English-speaking pastor in a Chinese church. I'm Jalen Chan, and I'm here with my co-host, John Mon. Hey, everyone. Together, we host the Bamboo Pastors Podcast. We're glad that you're here with us. Come on in and have a seat at the table. All right, welcome back to another episode of Bamboo Pastors Podcast. This is actually going to be our first interview of season three, John. It's crazy. Mm, yes. We are in season three. We're getting close to, oh, I should have checked earlier, uh, 65 episodes, maybe something yeah, like that. Something like so that. Uh, pretty fun, pretty exciting. John, always good to see you and hang out with you. This is a special episode, too, because <laughs> yes, it is, it is uh, the first episode of the recording that we're recording after our birthday. I think mm-hmm. we've mentioned before in the past that we have the same birthday. Yes. So how was your how was your birthday weekend it was over the weekend for us so uh, what'd you do on your birthday how was it yeah uh you know first of all Jalen happy birthday um thank you and my birthday was pretty good it did fall on a Sunday this year um which meant that uh most of my day was spent working um and doing church stuff and ministry stuff so it was quite a busy day actually I think I went from like 9 to 9 a.m to 6 p.m or 9 30 a.m to 6 p.m which is not always the norm for me because mm-hmm. um, we have a later service for our English congregation, um, but just happened to have an extra two meetings and things like that um, this weekend. Uh, part of it, we have a mission conference coming up. And so I had like a worship practice and then I had to lead worship at our church plant. So it was a very, very busy day, actually. Um, but I did get around to celebrating uh, my birthday um, with some of my young adults and uh, they took me out to eat dinner and um, it was a good time. A lot of fun and actually i think we had several uh birthdays around this time of the year um in our young adult group and so that whole week actually was basically like an extended birthday celebration for multiple people myself included so sweet it was good what about you uh what, what did you guys eat what oh, did you choose we had uh we had korean food and i will not make the mistake of trying to pronounce the dish that i had but it was like a beef brisket in like a white broth and it was quite good yeah nice sounds good sounds good yeah similar to you uh it was a work day it was a sunday um but it was it was good i was blessed just worshiping with the with the with the family with the church family and had a board meeting and then we had some friends over um a lot of the same friends that we've had dinner Mm -hmm. with together john so we missed you we had wings and sushi so we we raised a wing for you, a Rick Benny's ah, wing. Yes, thank you. Hot, hot wing. So that was very tasty and delicious, but it was fun. I mean, it was good. And, you know, like at this point, it's just like, you know, we it's not a big deal, you know. It, it is a reminder to both of us that we are getting older. That's <laughs> so. right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it was fun. So it was good to see friends. Also good to just be with the church family and worship and, um, yeah, just just enjoy some time with people that I love. So it was cool. Yeah. Let me ask this quick question. Did mm-hmm. your church do anything 
for you like during the service or like before or after the service? Did you make the announcement? Did, did someone make the announcement that it was your birthday? No, they've done stuff in the past okay. and I've, 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 I think I've looked uncomfortable <laughs> when, when they've done it. And so they've kind of just shied away from doing stuff like that. But, uh, I know they love me and I, and I appreciate that, but I just, I, I don't, you know, I don't want it to be about me. Right. Like we're, hmm. you know, so. Yeah, no, it, it was, uh, it was a, a debated point for us, uh, last weekend. And I was like, please, please do not say anything during service. Right. Like, it's not about me. It's yeah. totally okay. We don't do not have to acknowledge it. And, and they church was gracious. Our leadership yeah. team was like, that's what you want. We're doing it. I'm like, Oh, thank you. Yeah. Cause it's a little awkward, right? Cause the, little, the worship team is like singing happy birthday very, to you. It's very like, awkward. Ah, that's, I really appreciate <laughs> it. Yeah. But yeah. No, it's yeah. Nice. Well, you know, I, we did do this on purpose, but our guest today also happens to have the same birthday as us. And so we are celebrating three birthdays tonight on the podcast. Uh, our guest is a returning guest. He was on with us over a year and a half ago. Um, but we are joined tonight by uh, Enoch Liao, who is the lead English pastor at Boston Chinese Evangelical Church. So Enoch, welcome and happy birthday to you. Thanks. It's great to be here and happy birthday to both of you as well. Happy birthday. Did, did, they, did, uh, did your church do anything special for you? Our church scale sort of makes it odd to think of. I probably don't even remember the pastoral staff birthdays because there's so many staff. We have like 14 or 12 pastoral staff. But I spent my weekend with about 50 plus young adults at our annual young adult retreat. Mm. And uh, the young adult minister, Ryan So, on the last morning, which is Sunday, which is our birthday, at the, at the end, he's like doing his quick thank yous, you know, for the various teams. He said, oh, and there's one more special thing. It's his birthday. And he said, happy birthday to Pastor Enoch. And his, his closing lines were, you know, he probably would prefer me not to do this or he's embarrassed, but it's my retreat. So, <laughs> and that's true because uh, I've been telling him the whole year, like this is you, you lead this retreat. So you're mm -hmm. going to have to, you're going to have to be accountable to the Lord for every word you say <laughs> at the retreat. So very cool. Well, happy birthday to you as well. Um, as John mentioned, it's been about 18 months since we've last talked to you on the podcast. How has ministry been going since we last had you on? Wow. such a big question. Uh, so many things going on. Um, overall, I think it's been good. I, I think Chinese heritage churches kind of are a little different, especially if you get to the medium to larger ones. Cause I think in, at least in our area in new England, a lot of the larger churches the, there's a there's a statistic that's been floating around the large church world in this country since the pandemic, and the idea is, um, you know, should you when you do return to your in person room and all those things, you're hitting about fifty percent maximum at tops, and so if you hit fifty percent, you're really good. If you're like twenty five percent, you're pre pandemic, you're sort of hanging in there, you're normal. Uh, I I'm not so sure that's a reason uh, for our church uh, because. We are never, I think those people that go to those churches and they don't come back because there's a lot of people that maybe truly love the Lord and are committed, but they probably have pretty deep Christian connections with other churches. Like a large church in a region probably has known for its strong preaching or music or children's ministry or parking or combination, all of the above. And so what it means though, is that sometimes if you've been serving a lot or been tired, you kind of go to one of those large churches where you can just sit back and enjoy honestly, probably some of the best preaching, at least from an American perspective standpoint. Uh, 
you don't get that at our churches anyway. So, so if you go to our church, you're pretty, you're committed for other reasons. <laughs> so, so when the pandemic hit, you know, I think we were basically not as affected. Also in a Chinese heritage church, when you get to a certain size, you're not staffed the way a lot of our like Sarah white churches are staffed. So like a lot of my senior pastor friends are like having tough conversations because what do I do with my worship creative arts director, my my lighting director, my communications director, my media director, all those things, they're, they had to actually had to either lay people off or repurpose them. But in a traditional Chinese heritage church, your pastoral staff are arrayed by life stages. You know, there's the youth, there's the college, a young adult, whatever it is. And so just go and deploy. And during the pandemic, it's been that way. So in the last year, since we went on a podcast, the two sort of in the life of the worship service congregation, at least for the English side and the churches, we re we started having worship ser services in person again on July 25th, 2021. So that was a big deal. Um, and then the English service that I get to directly be a part of, I'm a part of both English services on each campus, but the Chinatown service, which I more directly lead, we actually returned to our space pre-pandemic, the public school in our area, like just two weeks ago. So oh, our wow. first was, so we've had like two or three Sundays since then. And so this is really our first gauge of like, okay, how many people were not coming back because of the concerns for COVID, or they've moved away from Boston, or they just in another church, or they fallen through the cracks of church life, or will they come back? And so this is all very new data for us. So we've actually only had three Sundays. And so that's kind of a big deal, moving back from our own facility into a rented facility that's uh, almost four times larger than our than the one room we had in our building. Um, but that's that's really just the thing that a lot of people see on the outside with the, the worship service. But on the whole, there's been so much I could tell you about, but. I would say overall, I'd say God has been really gracious to our church. Um, but I, I talk more if if your listeners were interested, I would talk more about like the life of small groups, the life of our leaders, the evangelism that has taken place. Uh, but a lot of people worship service is kind of a great way to check your pulse and see what's going on. Um, and I get that. And so for us, that's kind of a big visible thing, returning back to the public school in our community. Yeah. So that was where you guys were meeting before the pandemic, like in this public school for your English service. Yes, that's right. Okay. Can I just ask, like, what, um, what was the reason, or uh, did the school not let you come back until then, or was the decision? <laughs> uh -huh. on, is this is that too complicated? Of a no, it's not too complicated. It's just gonna probably be not as interesting or be controversial. I don't. It's kind of a bad dilemma. So uh, it has to do with logistics, and has to do with mm -hmm. COVID, and it has to do with a bunch of other things. So we actually are contractually bound to the school where well, actually they're bound to us when we sold our property in chinatown they actually promised to let us rent actually for free for, for a, a specific amount of time so we actually have a sitting contract mm -hmm. so really for the last year or two um when other churches in the boston area are like oh man like hey we have a struggle to meet because we used to meet in a public school in our neighborhood and we can't get back in and then people would say yeah boston public school is not letting anyone back into their buildings i would basically say nothing because I know I had a contract in hand um, that actually guarantees us, uh, but that's because of the long-standing arrangement and then a major arrangement we made when we sold our property. But from a neighborhood standpoint, even though mm -hmm. some people in our church really wanted to go back in, from a public, from a community standpoint, the educators, the, the, the teachers, the aides, the staff, the headmaster, the principal, I just don't think 
they need the headache. And so, yeah. I mean, even though it would have made some things nicer for us to go back there to be a good neighbor, we actually, well, I was one of the folks that advocated and said, let's not do this yet. It yeah. feels weird to ask, not even pressure, but just to ask if we could go back in that space when the kids aren't even in that space right. yet. It just yeah. feels, you know, strange. So we waited a long time. The second main thing we waited was uh, live streaming. Live streaming for a lot of churches is challenging to do it well. And it's like guitar playing. Well could be doing a popular guitar lick, you know, that you hear in recording, super clean. Or then there's the deeper kind of well, which is I from congregational worship, clean strumming, yeah. clear leading, like things that I think might be more impressive, less impressive, but I think are more important for a live stream. Um, and so for us, with the limited volunteers because of the pandemic, it just seemed to make more sense to live stream from our own property. Mm, yeah. That we have control of the internet. We don't have to break down and set up all our AV systems and our you know live stream equipment. So that was a big deal because up until a certain point, uh, it's hard to know, but you know, in Boston and New England and in Chinatown, you could walk there today and you will see anecdotally, I don't know, at least half the people wearing face masks. Mm -hmm. which is very unusual because one of our pastor friends in Texas says, hey, Enoch, there's no pandemic in Texas except in Chinese heritage churches. So, so that's, oh, that's no. sort of where we're at. And that's sort of the, our, our worldview. Then the final piece would be, so the live stream on our volunteers. Um, and then really it's been a challenge to figure out what's the best way to optimize our live stream. Like, you know, some churches have gone into creating a virtual campus where they hire a pastor for their virtual online campus. Some churches, many churches, when it was a, a challenge to maintain, they happily did away with the live stream because it's just been difficult. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking to two pastors. So, you know, a lot of churches wish they could do it away with a long time ago because it makes so people, they don't have a chance to be quote unquote lazy. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like I've heard a lot of people say that because they're lazy. I actually don't know that our church has I'm not sure that that's a as big a deal in our church. It just, mm. I'm sure it's a reasonable struggle, but, yeah. you know, um, but anyway, so those are some of the factors. The other thing was up until from July 25th to just a month ago, we actually had to run two English services in Chinatown uh, in order to accommodate. So the seat, there's like a, a 386 ish seats in the school. When we started their in-person service with one service or with two services, we had like 70 seats in that room. Mm. So combined morning and afternoon English service, you get maybe a hundred. A few months ago, we had an overflow that bumped us to about 130. Um, and I gotta tell you, there's a part of me that likes smaller services. It's not just the intimate number, but the intimate space. So there's no stage or just so much closer to people. Mm -hmm. And I met so many of the non-Christians or new people that would be visiting our church because you can't leave the room physically. That's <laughs> just like, I can see them. And I've also really had a heart for the afternoon time to see if that would allow us to reach more people. Mm -hmm. But without getting into super long details, long story short, a lot of prayer, dis discernment, discussing with the pastoral staff, as well as input from lay leaders, I think we decided, we, we call it, we closed two services in our own building mm -hmm. and we opened one in the school so that both groups feel a sense of, we recognize as a loss, in terms yeah. of these location and time. So that's kind of, again, a lot of visible public stuff that people would see, like to the average person, oh, the worship service is in this place now instead of there. There's only one service now. You don't have to pre-register, those sorts of things. But that's, I mean, a Chinese heritage church life, community life is not centered 
as much around the worship service experience as much as it's also fellowships choir practices if you have them you know like meetings and stuff so it's 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 a big deal from a public standpoint but internally that was just more a lot of staff trying to wrap our heads around those basic details but that's that's a small snapshot of the probably too many hours we spent trying to figure that out yeah so what has for you personally what's given you joy or a, a sense of life during kind of like figuring out all those all those things like in this season of ministry what's what's been giving you joy yeah uh, that's a great question i i don't know that the things that give me joy are any different than the things that give me joy in any other time of my life or ministry i love seeing people growing in skills or service or abilities to use their gifts uh, in ways where they did not think they could be as useful or impactful for the Lord. That's always huge. I love seeing people inviting people to church or to Bible study or to outreach ex uh, events. And I love seeing those people come to church and start attending ministries, events or programs, and then the people of God coalescing around them. Uh, there's, a, there's a woman that reached out to us that has only watched us online. So I've never met her, but she applied to be baptized. So I met with her um, and long story short and also preserving confidentiality, uh, I, we agreed that there might be some more things she'd wanna think through before she really proceeded. Cause it sounds like she, she had some concepts of what baptism was, but she wasn't fully clear on that. And in part of that, I asked her about her workplace and turns out she knows a bunch of people from the English and the Chinese side. In fact, one of the, her sort of, uh, professional mentors was a, a wonderful sister in our Cantonese ministry, and she just retired. And so um, I had mentioned to this woman, you know, if you know that person, I wonder if you would consider reaching out to her and asking if you just meet up, call it discipleship, call it mentoring, call it just hanging out, call it Bible study. And, and then actually um, that woman had thought the same thing. And so then our first day back in the school, so we saw the Cantonese and the English services, at least in Chinatown talking, and I went up to her. It's just, that's so cool. Uh, that's sort of the beauty of like a multi-generational, multilingual church where she's retired. She's got, she's fluent in English. Obviously she's a professional um, uh, worker here in Boston, but she also worships in Cantonese and she speaks Mandarin and she's glad to disciple this new young believer. Um, so that that's pretty cool. But I, I don't think the pandemic has, it's been hard for so many people in a lot of ways, but I don't think it sucked the joy for me as much out of ministry. Uh, there's other things that suck the joy out of ministry, but it's not the pandemic, but yeah. Yeah. So, you know, just, it, it's interesting to hear that. I mean, I, I love hearing it actually about, you know, these uh, partnerships and relationship between your congregations. How, what has that really looked like um, for you or how have you seen the Lord developing the relationship between your English and Chinese congregations at, at a church that is larger. It's got a lot of moving parts, I'm sure. Um, you know, what does that look like for you guys? Wow, that's a great question and a big question. Uh, I can start with things that are just more chronological, not because they're more important. Um, our senior pastor emeritus, Pastor Stephen Chin, he mentioned something that I think I appreciate it, but I've seen a little bit more to appreciate more his wisdom. He talks about how you know, we're the only church, I mean, these are his words, where if you got like these middle-aged or young adults or young families, Chinese Americans or Chinese immigrants, we can reach them, their children, and their parents or grandparents. Um, and if you know Pastor Steve Chin, he's super humble. He's not at all flexing or anything. Um, 
But I've kind of seen that more recently where, um, you know, a big thing is some people will grow up in our church, Christians or even non-Christians that come to Christ, but eventually they, they maybe move away or there is this trend. I don't know if you've ever experienced it where call it, they feel like they grow out of the Chinese heritage church. They, they grow, they, they just, whatever the Lord's calling them to be in a more multi-ethnic environment or white environment where, you know, whatever it is, but they come back when they've got kids and especially in the East coast, perhaps, I don't know if it's as so much in Northern California where John is, but maybe parts of the Chicago land area for Jalen is, but like the ethnic identity formation uh, can really do a number if you feel like a outsider or foreigner or something. And so a lot of times when they have small children or kids, they choose to come back to our church. Um, sometimes they bring them back for a conference just so the kids can meet friends, but then the kids keep coming. Uh, and then the kids eventually leave the parents' church, which might be close to their suburban house. Um, but then they have a lot of friends. There's a bunch of, a couple of my kids' friends are like that. Their parents left our church, you know, to go to another church closer by their far-flung suburb, which is fine. But sometimes those kids don't follow the Lord. Um, and then, you know, the parents struggle with wondering what if I had brought them. Sometimes they bring their kids. One of my one of my kids' good friends, his two parents are awesome Christians, but none of their kids follow the Lord. But one of them has is actually friends with my kids. And so actually they go very consistently to youth group. And again, it's not like a formula. It's not like you can guarantee input to output, but I generally think it's a good sign if that kid's going to youth group, connecting with God's people, hopefully receiving love from counselors and students and hearing the gospel. So that's pretty powerful. And of course, there's always the, can someone who speaks Cantonese or Mandarin go visit my parents in the hospital? That's totally huge. Um, but beyond that, it, that would be the classic ones, you know, like, but then there's also in our context, the urban dimension, senior citizens or senior outreach, um, where they want people who are seniors or younger people to go hang out with them and minister, or even, um, there's a the the growing there's a growing demographic of people that serve in our after school program, and those are retirees. So that that's they're English retirees. So they're in the English congregation, um, and but they're retiring or retired, and they they're actually some of our stalwart people that just helped out during the pandemic, because um, college students couldn't come back to Boston for the first part of the pandemic. So we had a couple of retirees, you know, wearing face masks, coming out to church to hang out with, with urban middle schoolers and helping them do their homework. So that's kind of a snapshot. I think there's a lot more, but, but those are just some of the really cool things that I can think of in recent days. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, you know, one of the things that we're trying to think through for this season of the podcast is sort of like the trajectory for Chinese heritage churches. And obviously we can't speak for all of them, but just something that we 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 want to explore is like what are what are people's sort of perception about uh, the future of the Chinese Heritage Church, um, and maybe just thinking more specifically about BCEC uh, or some of the other Chinese Heritage Churches that you're that you're in relationship with. Um, what are some of your thoughts about what's the trajectory, what's the future look like for Chinese Heritage Churches, and? And maybe what encourages you about that? Yeah. Remind me about the encouragement part, uh, because I, I may just talk a lot about my thoughts about trajectory and then come back because that's supposed to be, I, I don't know, tra trajectory is tricky, but let me, these are some of the things that I've been observing or thinking about. Let me speak one to the Chinese Heritage Church internally, and then one maybe externally. Uh, externally, a couple of thoughts. One, I think, especially when you look at Black and Latino, 
the and I don't mean to use this word in a harsh way, but it's probably one of the easiest ways to get around. I think if you call it, the, there was probably a push for church planting, like, you know, in the late 90s, 2000s. And then at some point, all church planting was multi-ethnic planting, like explicitly multi-ethnic. Actually, there were a number of churches that were planted in Boston in the 90s and early 2000s that they started planted as Asian American plants. And within a span of a few years, every single one, and I'm friends with many of them and the founders, they all became multi-ethnic, which, you know, that's, I'm not critiquing that. What at some point then, um, I think that first wave of church planting, or if you call that that recent wave, there was a point where a lot of these churches, largely white majority culture, would realize, okay, let's try to be multi-ethnic, whatever that means. And there was a formula at one point. I mean, again, I don't think they thought it was a simple formula that you put in and automatically put the ingredients in the, and then up pop the oven a multi-ethnic church, but basically hire multi-ethnic staff. You could actually read in the literature, you know, popular Christian articles or books and conferences. The way to get diversity in your populations is to get diversity in your staff. I think both in black pastors joining white churches or, you know, that's a very common thing or white Asian pastors joining white churches or Chinese pastors joining Korean churches. <laughs> I think there's a wave now where, and you, your listeners can't tell, I think my two hosts here just smiled. I hope they, was like, but um, I think there, there's this growing sense that is probably at different places and different stages, but that that hiring alone is not really gonna do much. Mm. Now, whether that produces a sort of disenchanted, you know, disenchantedness or cynicism or a doubling down, like hire more multi-ethnic or whatever it is, or there's a movement to, no, let's have minority-led churches hire white people to kind of join their junior staff, all that stuff. I just think both at the society at large, whether it's corporations, nonprofits, universities, nonprofit boards, or churches, we got to go deeper than that if we want quote unquote diversity. So I think externally, people are now looking back and go, is this project to really, like, is every church supposed to be the same racial makeup of their community? That, that we heard that so oftentimes, a church should reflect the ethnic makeup of its community. Uh, and I would love to comment on that another day, but. But I think that is souring a lot of people. I think a lot of minority peoples, I know a lot of black friends and Asian friends that are like, I'm just tired. It's sort of like the equivalent of very common sentiment. Like an African-American says, I'm tired of explaining it to all my white friends over and over again, you know, whatever they're trying to explain. And um, yeah, and so there's a lot to say. So I think extrinsically, externally, that is becoming more real. It's become, people are sobering up internally. Um, it's just so interesting. I, I think more Chinese heritage churches probably have to hire non-ethnic Chinese. Again, not because they're preferring one or the other, but just because the sheer number of churches and ministry openings mm -hmm. relative to the number of people who would potentially fill those positions who may be ethnically Chinese or have a background in ethnic Chinese heritage, like it's just smaller. So I think that is going to do something interesting in the coming days ahead. Um, but I, but I think the other thing internally was something, and you didn't put me on for this. I, this wasn't a commercial, but you know, our Chinese Heritage Church Collaborative, God's been doing some neat things as we continue to move forward in that. Um, we are, if I can mention it here now, and you can edit it out later if you don't want to, but so you know, we shared before here on this podcast and other places, we have a little group of pastors that we've been meeting with for a number of years called the Chinese Heritage Church Collaborative. And it's mm -hmm. basically, pastors of English speaking congregations or ministries in Chinese heritage churches. 
where there is still usually a Chinese speaking component, as opposed to an all ABC ish church or something like that. And so we had those first couple of years of meetings. We produced some papers, which were sort of approved by our general group of people who've been coming. It also had an overseas born Chinese pastors, OBC reading group, where we got some, I was really grateful and humbled to get some OBC pastors to come read and give us their feedback. And so those two papers, which will form our foundation uh, for this sort of thing, movement, organization, whatever, flash in the pan, whatever the Lord allows to happen. And so we're actually hoping and planning right now our first national gathering. Uh, mm. By national, it just, it's the same group of people, but we're going to use the word national in front of it. And it's planning to be, um, yeah, we're calling it the Chinese Heritage Church Collective. And it really is just collecting people from those demographics. And the plenary sessions are going to be very different. If you know what a typical plenary session is like heavy speaker, maybe some music. Um, and then, you know, the older you get in life, the fewer plenary sessions you go to at conferences, you just meet up with your friends during plenary sessions and, and talk to them. Uh, our plenary sessions at this point, we hope to be mostly talking with people around you at your table and, and listening and sharing. So we're trying to just, right now we're trying to figure out how you do that. Um, but one of the phrases I've sort of been thinking about is, you don't, we don't really want people to just come away from this gathering with content, which would be more conference centric, speaker centric, which is nothing wrong with that. Uh, but a lot of other great conferences could probably do speaker content in some ways more desirable or attractive or better than us. So it's not just come away with content, but come away with connections. So if we can get like 30 to 50 or whoever comes down to Houston, Texas, and for this gathering, then people will hopefully come away. And if the Lord should allow that to actually germinate in something more, then though I can't predict, but then it'll be cool to see a bunch of people maybe just praying together about that. So I think there is, at least I'd like to think, a coalescing, a deepening of the connections on a more intentional level. And I'd like to think the Bamboo Pastors podcast is a part of that. Like God's just like, I mean, I think I said the first time I came on, you guys are answered a prayer because some of some of us in the collaborative sat around like, oh, we probably should do a podcast. And then like, like oh, they got one. Oh, okay, we're not doing it anymore. Someone else is doing it. And so, I mean, but yeah, I think that's the kind of interesting thing. And um, just one of your first guests, I think on the podcast was Pastor Pearson. Wow. Yeah. You both, I think and John knows because he gave me Pearson's cell phone number. Uh, but Pearson was the speaker at our young adult retreat. Mm. So just these connections where young adults or youth or college students if the Lord brings them around the country to different jobs or schools, there genuinely is a return to maybe something in the 80s and 90s where if you kind of have been in a Chinese heritage church in your area for a while, and that Chinese heritage church is connected to other churches because your pastors are friends or there's people moving about through major cities like you know, Chicago or Bay Area, then there will be these deepening connections and hopefully the Lord will use that for something. So I'm excited. Uh, I think... Um, I, I, one more thing, if you'll allow me, there is a massive change in the OBC side of a lot of our Chinese heritage churches. The Hong Kong immigration is very, 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 very small now compared to before. Mm -hmm. We can talk about the political reasons in the 90s that made it. The UK is probably one of the famous for the BNO. What is it? British National. There's a program that basically, if you come from Hong Kong, within if you go to UK, within five years, you can get your citizenship. So there's a lot of people traveling, not to the US, but to uh, the UK for that. Um, the wave of people who came from China to Taiwan to the United States, fleeing the communist takeover in China, 
educating Taiwan and coming here for a better life. That's my parents' generation. That generation is sort of, um, you know, aging. So you don't have this, and the people coming over from the East now are mostly mainland Chinese, which is a very different, you know, set of demographic backgrounds. And a lot of them are still products of the one child policy and things like that. And of course the government there is just doing different things about how easy it is to get out, to study or to stay out. So really in the next five, 10 years, you may not see the replenishment of Christians in the OBC congregations of our churches. And if the English sides are at least stable, I think while some churches have seen either a numeric growth on the English side, or at least a maturity growth as they stick around, that might look really different in the hmm. next 10, 20 years. But this is all speculation. Why am I encouraged? I'm encouraged because I just, I don't know. I feel like 10, 15 years ago, most of the guys or pastors, men and women I knew in Chinese churches were really tired, kind of beat up and kind of showed it, right? I think now, uh, maybe it's bias or whatever, but I feel like there's a little more joy and hopefulness mm. and, um, and that's exciting. And so I, I think that's, that's holy God, right? I mean, yeah. not because our churches are hard to serve and lead in every church is hard to serve, but that's something that I don't think we can humanly orchestrate. And that, that encourages me that people seem to have more hopefulness, hopefulness about what God's doing. And then hopefully the longer conversation about ethnic heritage churches and the contributions that the Chinese Heritage Church could give to the American church conversation, or honestly, the global church. Yeah, you know, that's that's something that I think Jalen and I have talked about uh, both on the podcast, but also off uh, as we've been planning and dreaming for this, is just that that we sense there is this hopefulness, like you said, um, to what is what God is doing in the Chinese Heritage Church. And that's something that we both wanna be a part of and continue to be a part of. Um, I'm glad that you, found your way back to, you know, the uh, the things that encourage you about the church. And I think uh, I'm glad that you talked about the Chinese Heritage Church Collective too, um, because I think both uh, both of those things were, were things that, that excite me. And um, I think I'd look forward to whatever you guys are doing uh, with that. That's the end of our episode. Thanks for joining us today on the Bamboo Pastors Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the pod on whatever platform you listen to us on. Rate and review us and check in every week as we explore the joys and challenges of ministry in the Chinese church. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Bamboo Pastors. See you next time.